You might say she's crazy from going zero to 100 really fast, but I also see that as look at what you can do to get to that day. Like, I don't think you need to take those steps of doing the smaller distances before you go do the big thing. It's just knowing that you're capable of the big thing and that you're deserving of being on that start line. Hey folks, welcome to Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, Today we're doing something a little different. This is from my other show, Without Compromise. And I didn't know if I was going to play this here, but I thought, you know what? There's so many endurance athletes that listen to this show that I think highlighting, you know, a a huge bucket list challenge for a lot of us, which is an Ironman, highlighting that would be really cool. And so who this is, this is Maddie Stamboss. She's one of the ambassadors over at Athletic Brewing, and we challenged a team of our ambassadors to race in the Barcelona Ironman a few weeks ago. And Maddie is one one of the folks that finished and successfully finished, that is. And we have another team racing this week in Oceanside, California at the Half Ironman there. Uh, and this is all with Athletic Brewing, who I work for. Um, and I'm gonna—I'm actually there right now. As this, as you hear this, I am in Oceanside attending that Ironman. So if you're around Oceanside, California, right outside of San Diego, um, come check it out. It'd be, it'd be great to have you around. Just look for like the giant 12-foot-tall blue beer can. That's where I'm gonna be <laughs> for for most of the week. Um, but anyway. Maddie's story is awesome, you know, because she's a teacher full time. She was going to school uh, throughout training. She had so much going on with her personal life and um, had never done a a triathlon before she decided to sign up for a full Ironman. Um, And so it's kind of crazy. And if you don't know, a full Ironman is what, 2.6 mile swim, 112 miles on the bike, and then a marathon, literally 26.2 miles, all one after the other pretty crazy might be a 2.4 mile swim uh, I'm, I'm losing i don't have google next to me um but regardless it's a crazy crazy feat and maddie was able to successfully complete it so uh, if you ever have this as a bucket list item which i recommend i have done a half iron man at least and what's cool is i did a half iron man and then like two weeks later i did one of my biggest wilderness trips ever. And it was an amazing way to train for that, like an organized, structured way to train for this big wilderness trip. And uh, I I think there's a lot of overlap between the two worlds. And before we jump in, I did want to say thank you to all our recent patrons over at patreon.com. You know, you're supporting us monthly. That goes such a long way for this show because we are such a small operation. It means the world to us. So if you'd like to support us, go to the link in our show notes. And without further ado, here's Maddie's story. Yeah, so so Maddie, how's it going? It's going good. I'm in that recovery stage from everything <laughs> that's happened, but feeling lots of gratitude and excitement that not only did I do it, but I had fun and I got to meet Team Athletic and everyone who went over there. And with everything that's been going on with COVID, it, it feels like another big kudos to be like, I did that um, and to look back. With like, I can't stop smiling thinking that it happened. And I, I usually in the past with 
big, exciting races, I tend to feel that like post runners blues where like, you don't know what to train for next. And you feel like you're a little bit lost. And I haven't felt that much because there is so many good memories to take away from it. And give or take, I did have to go jump right into running the Boston Marathon a week later. Right, right. But I got to really compartmentalize the Ironman and it's really cool to look back on because that was my first one. And so it's a pretty cool thing that I just did and I, I know it. So I'm proud. It's good to hear you're not downplaying it because it's pretty freaking epic. So, so yeah. honestly, we, we won't go through like your whole, whole childhood or anything, but before this, what would you say was, you know, some of your athletic goals or achievements or some of the things you were at least doing? Yeah. So I would have said, not what I said, I will say I, I did come into the sport of triathlon as a runner. I've been running my whole entire life. I competed competitively in high school. And then when I got to Wake Forest for college, I also grew up playing soccer. I decided to play club soccer and then to just run on my own for falling in love with the joy of running itself. Um, and that's when I really fell in love with running marathons. I ran my first one in November of 2014, which was in the city of Philadelphia where I grew up. And seven years later, I just hit my 26th marathon. So I would say my journey as an athlete was primarily running, but it wasn't until about three years ago that my bucket list started to include a triathlon possibly one day. Everyone asks you as a runner, like, what's the big goal? Like, did you run Boston? Did you do all the big ones? And once I said yes to that, the question is like, what's after that? And I always joked, I was like, well, I would love to do an Ironman one day, but I had no biking experience with aero bars. I grew up swimming in Cape Cod and teaching swim lessons. So it was really just the getting all the things together. Like I really love running because it's, it's minimal, it's not minimal effort, but it's minimal materials you need, equipment and biking. You need a lot more cycling. You need, you need a bike, you need the shoes, the helmet. And so I got all that stuff three years ago because I, I was going to do a sprint. I had a coworker pass down me his old one, but then I moved away from Connecticut. And soon after I moved to North Carolina, the pandemic hit. And so that bike really just sort of sat there. But the, the Ironman on my bucket list in my, my, I write all my goals down that didn't go anywhere. And so when this opportunity came up, I was like, maybe I'll apply. Maybe this will be a great chance. Maybe I won't even get it. And then when I did, it took me a couple of days to gather my, my resources and to ask people. I remember asking someone in my network who has done Kona and such. And I asked him, I was like, in your honest opinion, do you think I can do this in four months? And he said, absolutely. Like, we just need to get you a bike and you got to start training, but I, I fully believe that you're capable of that. And so this runner stepped out of her comfort zone, and these last four months have been awesome. I think my running is stronger than ever because of adding back in swimming and adding cycling, but I fell in love with those two sports too, and I actually just like went swimming last night instead of going for a run. So I think this has just sort of started this whole new passion for things other than running. So, yeah. 
so what was training like through the pandemic, living somewhere new, having a job and uh, achieving all these other goals at the same time? How were you able to fit it in? Yeah, so I think it was very fortunate. I am a teacher, so I have the the lucky training plus of having summer. So right when my training began, I had just PR'd in the marathon with the 315. So my fitness was not coming in from zero. It was just a matter of getting the biking that was coming in from zero and to get back in a pool, which I had to take breaks every couple minutes. And now to think that I could swim continuously and stay in the aero bar position for seven hours. That is the coolest part. But I really think I couldn't have done this training block for my first one ever without there having been summer. And so I was working at my local Fleet Feet um, part-time and then training on top of that. And so my, my hours of training were a little bit whack, which I think is actually really helpful because I would start my 20-mile runs at 6 p.m., and that helps because in the Ironman, I didn't start my marathon until about 5.30. Um, so that was helpful. And biking in the early mornings, I really got to meet new people and jump into some cycling groups that looked at me like I was a little bit crazy because I was, but they were right there with me, encouraging me, telling me advice and tips. And when things happened with my bike, they knew how to, they knew how to help me fix it. So I think this training block was super empowering, but also very aided with summer. Once school started back in late August, my training definitely took a little bit of a slide, but I'm pretty tough mentally to know that it's going to be okay. I'm not under training. It's just, I'm going to come into the race with exactly the level of fitness that I have. And that's, that's going to be enough if I'm mentally tough, which I am. That's interesting. I, 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 we obviously know that mental toughness is a huge part of it. How much did you say that came into play for for the race day itself? Obviously, physical, you got to have a certain level of physical toughness, but did you find yourself leaning on that through some some difficult moments much more than maybe when things were going smoothly? Definitely. And I always like to think with all of my running and races and my belief that I can do hard things, I think mindset is everything. And I, I, practice and preach it all as a teacher as well. Like I'm an art teacher. And so when things go wrong, right, it's not the end of the world. And I definitely on race day, when we stood there looking out to the waves that were much bigger than any of the swimming pool ripples I'd trained in and in the winds that I actually never truly got that much biking experience with that heavy winds, I almost did not have a moment to let myself be nervous. It was just like a a gratitude that I get to do this and I'm going to do this no matter what. And that you just sort of, I took each section for what it was. So just do the swimming portion and then get out of the water and like recalibrate and then just focus on the biking because the marathon is my sport. I love running marathons. And so when I finished that bike and I started to dismount and it started to pour rain in my mind, the race wasn't over, but in my mind, I, did it. Like I knew I could do the rest. So the mental toughness was definitely a huge factor. And obviously that mental toughness, like you're talking about, comes from experience, comes from yeah. doing the things and knowing you can get through it. 
Um, so it is directly tied in with that physical too. Uh, well, so take us through, you know, you talked about being crazy, by the way. Um, you know, we, we know all about that. We know Julie, Julie can speak to that. I can speak to that. You know, we sell non-alcoholic beer all day. We're crazy. We're all a little crazy around <laughs> here. Um, makes we everything else seem not so crazy. So once you knew you, you had the training, you were getting through the summer, take us through what it was like as the race started getting closer. How are you feeling? Did the nerves start picking up and how, how did you start dealing with that? Yeah, no, the nerves for me center in this like concentrated pit in my stomach. And so I think in addition to the training, I had to think about logistics of flying and like make sure we had all my paperwork ready with like the QR code to get into Spain and logistics of housing. I was so very fortunate to be connected from a friend in Winston with a family who lives just 10, 15 minutes away from Calea. So that experience really helped soften the nerves of a lot of the travel and logistics seemed to work themselves out. Uh, the day we arrived to Spain, there was a train strike. And so without Lara picking me up from the airport, I, I can't even like imagine how I would have gotten there. But it was one of those things where some things, pieces were falling together. So I had other things to focus on. And as a teacher, like substitute lessons and plans are no joke. And so I had to make not only one day, but seven. And so like making sure my whole binder was great. I pre-recorded videos of myself. So I had to just make sure everything was squared away for when I was gone. Um, and I'm a planner, but I that was like a whole nother level. So there were moments in the days leading up to race day that I couldn't get my training in because staying in my classroom and prepping was more important. And so with my mindset and this kind of can-do belief of like that one day that I didn't get my run in won't break me, I'll be okay. Um, I actually might feel better because of another day off. And so I just had to, had to compartmentalize what is priority right now. And I think everything just really planned, like everything went so smoothly with like no flight delays, transfers and layovers went great. So I do remember being on the flight over there, just like downing water bottle after water bottle being like, I feel sick, just nervous, sick. So it all worked out. <laughs> Jeez, it sounds like the race itself was the easy part. I think so. So what did it feel like that day before the race? What were you thinking? What was, you know, what, how were you feeling and, and how did you sleep? Yeah, I think a lot of where my nerves stemmed from was wondering and worrying of like, did I get there with enough time to sort of like acclimate and to get everything done? Like my bike wasn't even put together till the morning of the expo Saturday. And so, yes, all of that coming together. But I, looking back, I never fully experienced the jet lag on the front end. And I've had an experience where like I flew to Berlin to run the Berlin Marathon and I got there the day before and I left the day after. And so I almost went off of that of like, okay, get there and just don't even think about the jet lag, just sort of do the day. And so I got there Friday afternoon and all of my preparation pretty much happened on that Saturday where I had a bike appointment to get my bike assembled at 10. I picked up the race expo bags and sort of brought all my stuff with me. I met Julie at the athletic tent and they were so incredibly helpful. Like I sat there in front of the big blow up bottle 
like putting my bags together with like Daniela. And they were so helpful because people who have done these want to help other people and want to encourage them. So I don't think the day before could have gone any differently. Like I spent eight hours at the expo area, just getting everything ready and making sure I had everything put together in the certain bags because you couldn't touch them the next morning. You could only access your bike. So I think the excitement and the adrenaline just sort of kept that going that by the time I got home from spending some time in the sea with Julie, I was so tired, but I was on Spain time tired. So it, it just sort of was a day of go, go, go that finally when I went to bed, like I said, you wake up and you look at those waves and you just say, I'm just going to do it. I didn't, I don't actually dwell too much on the negatives. I would consider myself a pretty positive, optimistic person. So I think the fact that I, I got to Spain and I have, my bike is assembled in the racks. I'm like, I guess there's no backing out now. So I think the day before was really helpful in just getting the energy of the race and being like, I'm here, I'm in Spain doing this thing. No backing out now. That can be a, yeah. a frightening place. And <laughs> it's usually the place you need to be before you do Those something. announcers are so dramatic. Their voices are wonderful. <laughs> are they? Dramatic. What were they saying? Well, the family I stayed with, and I had checked the weather a couple of days before. I don't really dwell on the weather because, gosh, half of my marathons have been in some form of rain. I actually consider that to be good luck. But my family was like, oh, no, no, the weather will change. The weather is never like that. Um, the water is usually like a swimming pool. And so the morning of, I said, that is not a swimming pool. And they're like, this is not normal weather. So I think just with the overcasts and the announcers talking about like Ironmans and how this could be like your moment and the question in your head, which before they even said it, I said it. I was like, can I do this? They were like, yes, you can and you will because I have that mindset of like, I'm going to do this and I can do hard things and I've never done this before. So how cool is it? But I did have to grapple with that thought of like, will I be proud of myself if I don't finish? And that was something I I could probably look back on now and worry about, but I did. So I won't. Um, so I think I just, I was smiling because smiling is my way of hiding the nerves but it was really cool to just look around and be in the moment. Yeah. When did it start feeling like, okay, this is, this is happening? Yeah. So I remember when Juan was getting ready to go off for the half Ironman and I was in the back and Julie and my host um, family, Yago, they were up in the VIP. The guards started to like push all the spectators out of the way and say like to the full Ironman people get ready. In my head, I'm like, I have a whole hour, like really until I get in the water, like the headspace of having to be in that almost fight or flight mode in your wetsuit an hour before you're actually going to hit the water is very nerve wracking. So I think really though, when I was in the waves, it was exciting or in the waves of people. We'll talk about the waves of water soon. When I was in the waves of people, I just kind of took in the energy and the music and it, I remember when it hit was when I was going from one buoy to the next, horizontal to the coastline. <laughs> and I'm just looking out because at that point I couldn't even do front stroke because you would pop up to catch your breath and just get plummeled by another wave. So I actually did a lot of side stroke in the cross section of the shortened swim. 
And I remember looking out to the coastline of Spain and being like, holy cow, this is this is what I'm doing right now. This is the weather. And yes, there's no turning back. But that was when it really hit that I was just in the first few minutes of what was going to be a very long day. Um, but I couldn't help but like, that's a good feeling. I just, that, I remember looking out and seeing the buildings and just saying, I'm doing the thing right now. <laughs> oh, what a feeling. What a feeling. So you, you exit the water after a crazy wild sea. Getting on the bike, tell us about the transition there and tell us about how you were feeling into into the bike ride, a very long bike ride. Yeah. So getting out of the water was like an adrenaline rush because the volunteers are like pulling you out. And at the same time, some of them are falling in and we had all drifted a little bit past the actual exit area. But then you just get out and there's some people running and then there's some people walking. And I just remember being like, there's no point in rushing. So I just kind of walked out. I was trying to pull my wetsuit and I like couldn't get it over my watch. And I was just trying to catch my breath because I had inhaled probably a ton of seawater. <laughs> and then in the transition area, I think I took, I took my time just making sure I had every single thing ready for the bike because there's no point in rushing and then forgetting something like your bike gloves. And so once I put everything in my bag, then I sort of like jogged to the bike. And yeah, I think a lot of people, like when they're going for time, they're like rushing, they're running with their bike. And I just walked my bike. I just needed to compartmentalize. Like one thing was done. The next thing is about to happen. And you have to forget about that time in the water and just sort of like make sure you have all your fuels. I remember thinking my pouch on my bike when I ordered it in the mail, I thought it was like huge. I thought it was going to be way too big, not aerodynamic. And in retrospect, I'm so happy that it was, it was pretty big because I fit all my gels in there. And um, my favorite bike snack is an uncrustable, like those peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I actually ate one of those in my transition yeah, and then there's people running to mount their bikes, and I just, like, gracefully walked and started slow because I had a long day ahead of me. And then the first, like, three kilometers, you're not allowed to be in air position. So I remember just using that time to just, like, get my footing, catch my breath. Um, I had a windbreaker that Julie lent me. And at that point, I realized I didn't think I would need it Um and it was taking up space in my pouch. And I was like, I don't want to lose this jacket. And so when I saw some of the people on the athletic support team, um, I just was like, this is Julie's. So I just like tossed it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think once it once it got going, I mean, that it was an out and back twice loop. And the whole out was full on strong headwinds. So a lot of it was just kind of mental mindset practice of like, you're just going to do it. Like I didn't worry too much about what pace I was going at. And when things got hard, I just would turn to the left or right and be like, look at this beautiful view. Like I get to be doing this. Um, and then I just like, didn't even look at my watch. Cause when I look at my watch, that's when things get pretty surreal of like, Oh gosh, I've been doing this for a long time. So yes, the bike, the seven hours on the bike in one way felt forever. Also at the same time, they felt very quick, um, on the bike again. So I just thought it was really cool. Like four months ago, four or five months ago, I didn't even know how to ride aero position and look at what I just did. And I like to joke that I am not the person that say they say, try this at home, kids. Like they might say, don't try this at home. 
but it's also a testament that people can do really hard things if you set your mind to them. So any particular thoughts on the seven hour bike ride you were having or anything you were doing, listening to anything? And, and, and how did you, I mean, how do you just sit there for seven hours? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Yeah, so I remember having just read like the packet and I've never done an Ironman, let alone like a cycling race. So I I was very nervous about like the rules and like the penalty boxes and I'm just your average human trying to just do a race, but like the drafting rule is no joke. They have like um, people, personnel on motor cars going by you all the time, like with one person writing down your number because you had to stay six bike lengths behind the last person. And with the strong headwinds, like that rule felt very applicable because it, it would be very easy to just coast behind someone. So I remember it, like what took up most of my thinking time was just wondering, am I too close to this bike? Am I too close? Like if this person is passing me, do I need to slow down? Like, cause you can't leapfrog. So I think that really filled up a lot of my time, at least on the front, the first, the first half of it, because then it spread out a little bit more when you got to the full Ironman kind of second loop. And I remember one time, like during a turn, thinking I like went too fast. And then this person like looked at me and said, oh, I saw the flag. I saw the flag. And I didn't see a flag put towards me. So I blew past a penalty box. And then I think it was like 50 miles later, I stopped at a penalty box because I spent all of that time being like, if I get a penalty and I didn't stop, like, am I going to get disqualified? So I remember stopping at a penalty box and being like, is there a way to check if I got a penalty like a long time ago? And they looked back at their numbers and they were like, nope. And so I just (laughs) kept going. But I think I kept worrying, like, am I going to get a penalty? At one point, like my whole back tire like flipped up in the air because of the strong headwinds on a turn. And so I think a lot of it was just being in flow of like that exact moment and less about I'm in hour six or seven um, or whatever mile I was on. I remember passing all the timing mats and just giving a a shout out to all the people at home tracking me and being like, you're welcome. I made it. There was a moment where like there was a big gap between my timing mats and so everyone says they think I stopped or something happened and, and then they got a blast that I crossed. And so I think it was just a lot of staying in my head and not getting too worried about too much else outside of me. But taking in the views, gosh, those mile markers were beautiful. Yeah. I was going to ask what the course was like. So cool. So you, you get off the bike, you're on the run. Yeah, that's that's uh, like, all right, you felt finished when you got off the bike, like you said. And tell us what it was like. What was it like crossing that finish line? Something, such a big goal, such a bucket list item for so many people. Um, was it more impactful than you thought it would be? You know what I'm saying? Or, or having crossed so many finish lines of marathons, were you kind of ready for, for the feelings and for the sense of accomplishment? Yeah, there's so many words I could put to that. And I don't even know if I've I fully processed it because every time I think back to it, it brings up a new like strong point or a new like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. 
um, or did that during COVID or anything, I can kind of tie it to a different moment. But I think what was cool is the run course was a three loop bit. And so every time you came around that athletic brewing loop is what they called it, you could see the finish. And so you could see people finishing and you can hear those words, you are an Ironman. And you can just be like, I am one step, one mile closer to hearing those words. And on the run, on the bike, sure, there's so much out of your control because you're clipped into this bike where like something could happen. But with running, yes, many things can happen, but you are in control of your body. And so there were moments I needed to walk, but I still knew that I was moving forward. And gosh, I don't think I've ever walked at mile 11 in a marathon before, but I did in this one because my body caught up to me of what I've actually been doing before the marathon. And so I think it's really cool to have it be a different marathon experience, like turning that red carpet. I don't think there's anything I've experienced like that other than that turning left on Boylston Street in the Boston Marathon and just being like, holy moly, like, look at the energy. And so like when you think like looking at the videos and hearing people shouting my name, I I didn't hear any of that. I didn't hear the song that was going. I actually don't even remember hearing the words, you are an Iron Man. I just remember seeing Julie and seeing the team and being like, wow, like I did it. And I actually feel okay. Like some part of me was like dancing down the finish line. And I look back at pictures and I was like, Maddie, there's, they're all blurry. Like all of the photos are blurry. <laughs> um, but it was this cool moment of like, I've dreamed about this and I've joked about this. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. And, and, and this past year has been such a growth moment. Um, I mean, I'm 26 and I'm the age of the favorite distance. I like to run pandemic has hit. I got a dog within the last year and a half and it's been great, but it's been hard. And so there's a lot of kind of emotional feelings. I remember turning down to the red carpet and just like starting to cry and then just telling myself, no, like be happy. You get to do this, like soak it in. Um, And so I was pretty much dancing down the red carpet, seeing athletic brew. Every other thing was so cool to be like, I get to be the one, like I'm wearing this on my kit. That's so cool. Yeah, there was so much gratitude of getting to be there because with, gosh, with COVID, I love to travel. And that was the first like overseas trip that I've done in two years. And so that was, that was not, un, not thought about. I, it was everything. Wow. And you've had a big year. You, you graduated <laughs> with a master's. You did yes. Boston again. Yes. Iron Man finisher. I, I don't even know where you go from here. You've kind of done it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I think the next thing on deck, I want to get my running certification for coaching. There's always something that Maddie Stamball is working towards, but I'm soaking it in. I don't have any goals set right now. It's only been a few days since your last accomplishment. So it's, it's yes. good to uh, just take a breath, see what's yeah. next, see where the cards fall. But Having completed it now, um, for anyone that hasn't done one or is training for an Ironman, especially team athletic that's going to be racing in Oceanside uh, next week, what advice would you give yourself maybe a month ago prior to finishing this race? Like what, what is something you wish you would have known or done differently leading up to it? Yeah, that is so cool. And I, I just have to start off by saying I've been so inspired by this group way back since it started in May, June, just because the 
the selection, like at first I had a lot of imposter syndrome of I've never done one before. Why was I selected or what, what do I have to bring to the table? And now I just look back of like, oh my gosh, everybody has some unique perspective to bring. And so the people in the team who have done them before, um, shout out to Hunter. She gave me so many good pieces of advice when I was like, what do I do with this wind? Like what if, what, what, when, at what point would they cancel a section? And so she was helpful with that. But what people bring to the table is just these different experiences. And so a big piece of advice that I've gotten in my marathons is run the race that's given to you that day. You can train in all sorts of weather and conditions, and then race day might bring something totally different. Or you might have done a lot of Ironmans before or a lot of races, but every single race you do is going to be different, whether that's the course. So like the times really can't be matched up equally because every course will have different challenges. But I think just knowing that your training has paid off and that it it will all be worth it and whatever the morning of race day brings is just you get to bring yourself and your attitude and your mindset to the race. So when those waves were treacherous looking, I just knew that I was capable of whatever I was going to do that day. And so I think also I had, I had not done, I've only done one triathlon, a sprint in July. And so you might say she's crazy from going zero to 100 really fast, but I also see that as look at what you can do to get to that day. Like, I don't think you need to take those steps of doing the smaller distances before you go do the big thing. It's just knowing that you're capable of the big thing and that you're deserving of being on that start line. I think that's a big piece of advice. You, you don't have to take all these necessary steps looking up to it. Like, yeah. you know, it can be helpful, but you can just jump right in and make yes. it happen right out. I mean, look at our founder, Bill. He didn't have any clue what he was doing with starting a brewery. Yes. But here we are talking on a podcast from a non-alcoholic brewery of all things. Yeah. Um, pretty crazy. If you don't mind, I'd love to jump right into uh, rapid fire. Then we'll wrap this up. Awesome. So now that, you know, racing's over or not not over for you, but these immediate goals are over you obviously have a passion for running. You obviously have a passion for teaching. What else are you most curious about right now? Ooh, yeah. Curious about how I can continue to help others in their goals. Um, I'm on a professional development day right now, and we're talking a lot about growth mindset. And so just working with kids and adults and athletes on this sort of mindset that I live my life by. Well, you've got a lot of ammunition for that, for a growth <laughs> mindset. I'm excited to see... Uh... What conversations come out of that? Well, what this might be obvious, but what what is your proudest achievement? Ooh. I think getting a master's degree and working full time is one thing I'm most proud of. And I I could be clouded by all my running achievements, but I don't like to think that we are what we do. Like I am not my achievements and I'm not my statistics, but I am the person I am because of all of that. And so I think I'm a better educator and friend and person because of everything I've done. So I think that's a big achievement. Definitely something to be proud of. I know we've already talked about this, but I always ask this, you might not have this in your mind yet, but is there any other goal out there for you that's like, one day I would, I would love to do that? Yeah, I would love to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. I think a lot of my big goals might turn towards hiking right now. 
yeah, there's also a big goal to write a book, which I'm I'm currently in the process of in the beginning stages. So it's a big goal and it's going to happen one day, but we'll see when. All right. This might be off the record, but what's the book about? Well, life lessons learned on the long run. Um, I joked when I started running marathons that people were like, oh, you need to write a book about all these races because there's so many different stories. And I said, I don't really want to write a book. This was when I was in college. And so I instead started an Instagram, which is a big part of who I am right now, Marathon Mads 94. But that Instagram is now helping me sort of recapture those memories from years back because 26 marathons, there's a lot of stories. There's at least 26 stories. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I, have finished, I have finished every race I have started. That's Oh, wow. That's a big thing. See, that's something to be proud of as well. Holy cow. Yeah. Hey, there's something there. Keep us yeah. posted. That's exciting. Um, you know, leading up to this, achieving all these goals, living life to this level, um, is there a daily habit that you really stick to or try to stick to as much as possible that helps you get it all done? Yes. I started this year by doing something that I had seen go around and I I could have started it in any day and everyone can start this on any given day. But I started this year with a gratitude calendar. Um, and so it's just a normal like daily calendar that you would put up on a wall. But I write one thing that I'm grateful for from that day. And because there's sure a lot of things that are negative, but when you can focus on the good, um, that's that's sort of what you look back on. So I think I start every morning with the mindset of what good could happen today. And even if that's as small as I made my bed or I took my dog for a long walk or I got a validating comment from a student, like it can be as small as that. But um, that has helped a lot. You would be surprised the amount of people that answer that question with a gratitude <laughs> journal or some sort of practice yeah. in gratitude. There's something yeah. there. If you don't, if you don't do this, if you're listening, do it. So many people yeah. we talk to achieving so much talk about gratitude and being thankful. So cool to hear you say that too. Is there, I won't put you on the spot if you don't know the name, but is there a, do you have a favorite athletic brewing beer? Oh yeah. I love the upside on and rainbow wall. Those are good ones. I've got like the, the staple ones. Upside Down is, is my favorite. My dog wears the Run Wild collar. We love, <laughs> we love that one too because I'm more of a blue color fan. But um, yes, I, I like all the special edition ones that come out. Oh, awesome to hear. Well, well, as you know, with our beer uh, on every can and our motto here is brew without compromise because doing anything out of the box takes you doing it excellently. Is that a word? Uh, but doing it really well you know, in fact, doing it without compromise. So, you know, when we brew without compromise, we realize we kind of have to live without compromise too. What What does it mean to you to live without compromise? Yeah, I think it's not having to sacrifice something to live the life that the way you want to. Um, my mom has multiple sclerosis, so she lives her life with a lot of things that can set her back. And so I think I've grown up watching her try to do everything she wants to do. Like she's traveled to visit my sister in Hong Kong, even with the walker that she uses. And so I think I've just sort of lived my life being like, how can I live it to the best of my ability? Because we all live very short lives. And I think like why I got into drinking athletic brew was I love beer. I still drink regular beer, but I'm a teacher. And so Monday through Friday, it's just something that I want to be able to come home to 
and run or work out and then enjoy without having to feel like I'm going to wake up and not be the best version of myself as a teacher. And I know Juan, who did the half Ironman in Spain, he is also a teacher and he felt the same way. So that was really cool to connect on that's our without compromise bits. But I also know that every place you go to to get beer should have an option for people to just socialize with, but who don't want to kind of change the way they are. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.